Last week, we saw where as the disciples were walking along with Jesus, some of them who thought they were out of earshot from him were discussing which among them would be the greatest. And then Jesus, knowing that, even if he wasn't close enough to hear them as a, as a human would hear them, as the Son of God, he knew all their thoughts. He knew all the stuff that was going on in their conversation. And he gave them the understanding of what it really means to be great to him and in his kingdom. He's going he's gonna to get back on that again in the next chapter as well. This is a very important topic. But as they're continuing on after Jesus says this, read with me as uh, John, one of his apostles, uh, interjects in verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And then some of, the, some of our versions also quote from Isaiah where it says, where the worm does not die and the fire not quenched. Again, just speaking of the awfulness of hell. Then verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Again, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's an awful situation. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you, you be made salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Be at peace with each other. You guys who just a few minutes ago were arguing about which of you are going to be the greatest. Then John, changing the subject a little bit, kind of taking the heat off, tries to put the heat on somebody else. He said, hey, Jesus, again, I think expecting a, a, a commendation. Expecting, after he tells them what they did, that Jesus is going to be real excited for them. He says, hey, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name. We told him to stop. Because he's not one of us. Still got a little issue, doesn't he? And Jesus said, it's all right. Don't tell him to stop. Now, in, in saying this, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't look into what other people are saying. You know, for example, in the Revelation, and uh, for those of you who, um, for those of you men that would like to come in our um, Thursday morning 
Bible study at 6.30 in the conference room or on Zoom, we're studying the Revelation right now. We're in chapter 2 right now. And in chapter 2, verse 2 of the Revelation, Jesus commends the, the church at Ephesus for the fact that they looked at what some people were saying in Jesus' name and determining that they were, that they were false. Something, something about their message. He doesn't give us all the details, but some of them were claiming to be apostles, and they weren't. And, the, and the, the church at Ephesus, because they were searching the scripture and understanding what the Bible said, were able to determine that these guys who were claiming to be apostles were not apostles. So he's not telling them in, the, in this case not to be discerning. But in this particular case, he said, that these guys who are driving out demons in my name and, and doing this miracle, obviously I was, I was giving them the, the ability to do that. I was, I was with them in that. And then he goes on to say, even the smallest thing like giving somebody a drink of water in my name is going to be rewarded. These guys, these guys were casting out demons. That's even better than giving somebody a drink of water. Freeing them from that possession of that demon that, that, was, that was tormenting them. But he said all of us ought to be looking for ways that we can be serving others and encouraging others. He has rewards for people who do those things. And he assumes with his disciples, and we, we should assume among ourselves, that we would want the rewards that he wants to give us. So we ought to be doing good things to people, for people, with people. Even as he, as he says, even the one who gives a cup of water to someone. Something as, as simple as that. They're not going to lose their reward. He's going to be faithful to give his reward. And then he goes on to the opposite of giving good things. He says, and if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. That is a gruesome picture. You, you remember what a millstone is. Mr. Hagler does. All right. He's been to the mill. All right. The millstone is a huge, heavy stone that often had to be turned with water power or horsepower, literal horsepower to grind the grain the corn or the wheat or the oats whatever the case might be to get the flour huge and heavy and it would take you down if it was tied to your neck that's his point sudden absolute destruction would be better for you than to lead a believer in Jesus astray He's, help, he's, he's helping the disciples to start focusing on the right things here. Remember what their focus had been on? Me, my, mine, which is one of our problems, isn't it? That focus, always thinking about myself, always wondering how I can do something better for me or for my family, always thinking about me, 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 me. We all go through it. We all deal with it. The disciples went through it. He's saying, Get your eyes off of yourself and start being serious about what you're on this earth for. He had just told them, as we saw last week, be the servant of all. Don't condemn somebody else for doing a good thing. 
do a good thing yourself and be careful not to cause somebody else to stumble. And then as you're looking at that, be concerned about your own actions, your own thoughts. And he makes some, some very strong statements about our personal holiness. And remember what, what holiness is. Holiness is that characteristic of God that is separated from everything that's sinful. His holiness is the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross. Because otherwise we couldn't enter into his glory because we would be bringing our sins with us. He can't have fellowship with that sin, and so the only way we can come into glory is to have our sins forgiven, taken away. But that doesn't mean, even though our sins are forgiven, that doesn't mean he doesn't care also about us adding holiness into our lives. He makes us, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, he makes us the righteousness of God. But he also wants us to live that. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, be holy, be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. He wants us to to live that way. Now, he knows we can't. He knows we can't do it perfectly. That's why he told us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He knows even as believers in Christ, we're not going to be perfect. But he wants us to achieve, to, to attain, to shoot for his kind of character in our lives, his kind of thoughts, his kind of attitudes, his kind of love. He doesn't want us just thinking about ourselves. And so as he goes through these things, he says, look at your life. Is your hand, your foot, your eye causing you to sin? Get rid of it. Now, I do not believe that he was being literal in his expectation of his disciples to, you know, mutilate their bodies. I think he was using a figure of speech here, hyperbole, getting their attention with a very strong picture in their minds. But I don't think that he wanted, wanted them to do that because we know that these disciples did sin with their hands and their feet and their eyes after he said this. And to our knowledge, there's no report of them having done this literally. But he wants us to do it. He wants us to put those things to death that are causing us to sin in our lives. To get rid of whatever it is. Be serious about it. And so as you're thinking in your own life right now, a certain, a particular sin that really gives you trouble, as Peter put it, a particular sin which wars against your soul in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you're thinking about that in your own life, think about some strategies that you need to, that you need to employ to get rid of that, to stop that. And do whatever it takes, dr- drastic measures if necessary. Now again, I'm not going to promote the taking of this literally, and, and I, don't expect any, I don't expect a phone call you know, from Northside Forsyth to come visit you because you cut your arm off. All right, because you, you know, slapped your husband again. Um, and again, hopefully you don't do that literally either. But if you do, take it serious. And look at your own life and ask, 
What do I need to do to bring about this change in my life? And it starts by identifying that you can't have it in your life anymore. Stop putting up with it. Stop getting comfortable with sin in your life. And once you identify it, say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. He cares. He doesn't want whatever that is in your life. He doesn't want it. We ask him to help us. He's going to help us to get rid of it. And if we know the steps that happen that cause it to happen, then we need to, to make a change in those steps. We need to make a change in our schedule. We need to make, it, make a change in what we do, the way we spend our time, the way, the way that we're entertained, whatever the case might be, whatever it is that's, that's causing us to go in that direction, in that particular area of our lives, we need to get rid of it. We need to take it serious. Remember what his goal for your life is. And it's, and it's, in, it's included in one of the most famous of all the verses of Scripture, one of the most quoted sections of Scripture, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Throwing 29 into. You remember what it says? God works all things for good for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's, your goal. There's God's goal for you. Every single one of us. All of us different, different interests, different talents, different abilities, different experiences. He has the same goal for every single one of us. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. He wants us to live our lives like he did. He wants us to think like he thought. He wants us to care like he cares. He wants us to serve like he served and serves. And he works everything out in our lives for good to make that happen. So that everything, even the things that we consider awful and terrible and tragic, he will use those things to make us more like Jesus. And as we cooperate with that process, as we agree with that goal that he has for our lives, as we make that our own, then as we see these areas in our lives that don't conform to the image of Jesus, we've got to get rid of them. We've got to cut them out. And there's his point. And he also makes a very strong point about those who live and die in their rebellion against him. Because he says, you don't, you don't want to go to this place that he describes where the fire never ends and the worm never dies. That's a reference to, the, to this valley outside of Jerusalem. It, it's not used for this purpose any longer. But the, the valley that we, that we read about in the scripture reading this morning that Mark read from Jeremiah 32, where the terrible, terrible stuff was taking place in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, where they erected an altar to the false god Moloch, and they sacrificed their babies on that altar. The Jews 
once they got over that and, re- and repented against that, that kind of activity, they made that valley where all that stuff took place the, the dump heap that was always on fire. And the parts of it that didn't look like they were on fire anymore, there were still little embers and there were worms crawling around in all the, in all the garbage. That was his picture that Jesus used to describe what hell, what eternal separation from God is going to be like for those who continue in their rebellion against him, to those who don't believe in him and don't take his word and his work seriously and don't obey the gospel, the good news, as the Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 1, where he says that we obey the gospel, the good news, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. To those who don't, they will enter that separation from God for all eternity. And it is a terrible, terrible picture. But it's not necessary. No one has to go there because of the provision he made for us when he died on the cross for us and made the offer that everybody who believes in me will be saved, will be forgiven of their sins will be given eternal life. They don't have to worry any longer about eternal judgment that we all deserved. We can be assured that we are going to live with him forever. Now, there are a lot of people that that we all know that don't believe in what Jesus just said there. The fact that they don't believe it doesn't change the fact. And they still need to hear that there is a place called hell and there is a place called heaven. One of the worst things I've read in, in, or heard in, in recent weeks is, is dur- during the week before David Crosby, the famous musician, during the week before his death, he said, heaven is overrated. Having some sort of assurance that there wasn't one, that he didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Yes, he did. And I'm, I'm confident, knowing the circles that he ran in, and that many, of the, many times there were Christians within those circles, I'm confident that he heard the good news of Jesus. And it's my hope that sometime after he said, heaven's overrated, that he had a literal come to Jesus moment, and he put his trust in Christ. But I want to tell you something, folks. Heaven's not overrated. Heaven is the glory of God, a place that he's preparing in that glory for all of us who believe and all of us who are living our lives in such a way that he will give us the rewards that he speaks of. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful experience for all of us, and it's going to last forever, and we're going to like that. Right now, we, can't, we, we think about forever and think, oh, we get tired of everything really quick. We can't imagine being excited about the Lord and, and being in his glory forever, but we'll be okay. He'll help us overcome that. It's going to be a wonderful thing, and it's, it's a place that we want to go to, as he describes in his word. And the only way there is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's live our lives, as he's instructing the apostles, let's live our lives in such a way that we're not playing around with sinful things and misleading people. That we can live our lives for his glory and help others see what God has in store for everybody who believes. Then he goes on to tell them, as he wraps up this, this particular section of, of, of his journey, as he's teaching them along the way, 
He says, everyone will be salted with fire. Well, he was just talking about eternal fire. Now he's talking about a different kind of fire. He said, even believers in Christ are going to be salted with fire. We're all going to go through our fiery moments. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 12 for a description of, the, of what that looks like and what's going on when those things are happening. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Hebrews 12, 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And now he's going to quote from the Proverbs. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who who have been trained by it. And so he lets his apostles know. There's hope for you guys. You've been, you've been, you've been, you've been walking around with me now for almost three years, and I'm really disappointed that you're still t- talking about who's going to be the greatest among you instead of being focused on what I really want you to focus on, that you guys are supposed to be shining for this world. I'm going to send you into this world to make disciples of all nations. And you have to have the focus of service and love and sacrifice like I do. And you've got to stay away from these things that are going to pull you down that war against your soul. Otherwise, you're not going to have any influence. You're not going to be the witnesses that I want you to be. He said, so don't lose your saltiness. He said, I'm going to help. I'm going to discipline you. Like I'm doing right now, he says. But I want you to keep that salt. I want you to keep that flavor. I want you guys to help each other get this job done by living at peace with each other. So stop arguing about being great. And remember, in just one, in, in just one chapter, chapter 10, they're going to be doing it again. So we're going we're gonna to re- review this again in a, in a few weeks. But he wants them to live at peace with each other. He wants us to live at peace with each other. He wants us to be salty for each other. To be encouraging and helpful and preserving. And flavorful for each other. That, that the peace that we share with each other would be a great, great witness to the, the rest of the people in our families who don't believe, the, the people that we work with, the people that we, that we live around, that we would be a shining light for our community, as we spoke of earlier in the service this morning. And so, don't let anything stop you. 
Don't let anything get in your get in your way. And if you do, the Lord has promised He is going to salt you with fire. He's going to correct you. He's going to rebuke you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to discipline you. And remember, that's what's happening. Don't get bent out of shape by it like you did when you were younger and your parents were literally disciplining you and you thought they were the absolute craziest, most insane people in the face of the earth, not allowing you to do something so cool as what it was you were wanting to do. But they disciplined you. Now as you look back, you think, yeah, they were pretty smart. They, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were protecting me from. They knew it, and that's what God is doing for us all the time. And so when we face difficulties, remember he cares about us. And he cares about us accomplishing what he has set out for us to accomplish. First, his goal for us, to make us like Jesus. And second, what happens when people walk and live and think like Jesus in this world? They shine bright, and they can help others also see who Jesus is and what he came to do for them, not just for us. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning. A a day that started out more difficult than most Sunday mornings. Because of the time change, because of the rain, because of the cold. But Father, you brought us together, and we want to thank you. And we want to thank you for being faithful to us. To show us in your word how we can live for your glory. How our lives can count for eternity. Father, you know the obstacles that we have in our way. You know the, the strength of our sin nature, of our desires to do things that aren't right, that aren't in accordance with your glory and your holiness. And Father, we've seen today how serious you want us to take it, to eliminate those things from our lives and to add those things to our lives that make us more and more like Jesus. Father, we also thank you for your patience with us. You were so patient with your disciples, Lord Jesus. It gives us hope that you will also be patient with us as we continue to grow in our faith and our desire to live our lives with eternity in mind not just this temporary moment and so help us we pray we thank you for the way you've brought us together not just this group this morning but us as a church that we can encourage each other that we can pray for each other that we can help each other to live this life for your glory And Father, we look forward to whatever rewards you have planned to give us. That you'll be glorified by giving them to us as we also return them to you, recognizing that everything that we do is for you and for your glory. So help us to think your way and help us to back that thought up with the actions that agree with it. That we would not just be hearers of your word only, that we'd also be doers of it. Starting with believing in Jesus. And Father, we pray for those who haven't yet believed. Help them to to think about your word carefully. To recognize this is good news. 
that even though we struggle against sin, that you have given us the remedy, you have given us the provision of forgiveness through your death on the cross. Help everybody here who hasn't yet believed to believe in you and receive what you've promised, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And Father, for those of us who have, we give you thanks today for all that you've done and all that you've promised for those of us who believe. Help us now to walk in it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.